thank you for listening to another Hastings NAS podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings NAS. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to HastingsNAS.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace. Uh, Like last week, we've kind of condensed our readings into one. Uh, We're going to read from Mark chapter 2 and then John chapter 20, two separate books, uh, short passages. I want you to follow along and listen to the words that, uh, that Christ spoke to his followers. Mark, beginning with Mark 2, 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And then John 20, beginning at verse 19. When it was evening on on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, uh, in the original language, that that word told there, is an active verb. What a, maybe a better translation is they kept telling him. Throughout the week, they would not stop telling him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and, and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not be doubting, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. This is the written word of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Have you been able to sense it? I sure hope you have. I hope so. I, it's, it's hard to define, I know, but <clears throat> I don't know. I can't be the only one that senses it. Have you felt like the Spirit's doing something new? Okay, good. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Yeah, wonderful. All right, let's go. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. There's been... I'd, I've, I've been reflecting on it, trying to, trying to listen to what the Spirit is doing and saying and leading. There's been kind of a, 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 a fresh energy about this place, a, re- a renewed vigor. The Spirit's been doing something exciting, which is cool. Well, here's what I think is true. The Spirit is always moving. God's presence is always among us, but we have just not always been made aware of it. We've not always had an awareness of it. And as this world around us changes, it can sometimes be hard to grasp what the Spirit is up to, because sometimes the Spirit moves in ways that seem foreign or different than the ways that 
maybe we felt the spirit move in the past. And the reality is all of us are experiencing a world that's changing very fast and very rapidly in ways that we never anticipated, right? I mean, just the last 20 years. It's 2022, but I remember, I mean, in 2000 was before 9-11. It's hard to fathom a world before 9-11. Just just the last 20-odd years have seen incredible societal change, and it, it makes sense that that there are people who are really wanting to return to nostalgic days because all of that change can be disorienting. It feels like you're on a roller coaster and you're going up and down and left and right and you're flipping things upside down. You're disoriented and you just want to put your feet on solid ground. We've all experienced change in our lives, but for just a moment, I want everybody to listen, but I want to address for just a moment the greatest generation. Maybe even some older boomers as well. If you're close to kind of the 70 plus, 80 plus, if you were born before World War II in particular, I want to tell you, you have experienced more change in your lifetime than any other human being in existence. Frida Morgan, you have experienced a lot of change in your life. I'm not kidding. This is not an exaggeration. Every generation experiences change. That's true, but not to the degree that you all have. My grandpa Roy, who some of you have met, he's been here before. He was born in the Great Depression. He was born in the steel mills of Gary, Indiana. Just a, you know, a lively, lovely place. Born into a household without running water, without television. Can you believe it? Maybe some of you can relate. In the 85 plus years since, my grandfather doesn't just have running water and television. He, he has his television running all the time. And he has the whole world in his pocket. I'm telling you. And the truth is we can't get him off of it. He's got his stylus and he's checking his email. I mean, I mean, come on, Grandpa. He's experienced some change, Right? Not just technologically, though, socially, politically. In the experiences and teachings of the church, it can feel like this world is hard to recognize. It can feel like things are not what they were. Christian social scientist Phyllis Tickle has talked about how we are living through what she calls the great emergence. That we right now are experiencing something that happens very infrequently in human history. A seismic shift is taking place in the church. She says that this happens only every 500 years or so. And the last time it happened was, guess what? About 500 years ago. With the Protestant Reformation. 1517. 1517 was 505 years ago. That's when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to that door and, and lit the flame of the Protestant Reformation. And then, do you know what happened 500 years before that? There was the great schism in the church between the East and the West about 1000 A.D. And then 500 years before that was the fall of Rome and the Council of Chalcedon where the church was wrestling with its faith, defining what is and what wasn't. We had moved out of the apostolic era into the era of the church And do you know what happened 500 years before the fall of Rome and the Council of Chalcedon? Jesus Christ. That was kind of a big change, right? 
during every one of these seismic shifts, people have asked themselves, what's going on? Why is everything changing? Was the way that we did it before so wrong? So if you're of a certain age, you have experienced more change in your life than probably any other person. Because at other epochs in human history, like with the Protestant Reformation, which married this technological explosion that was the Renaissance and the printing press, all of a sudden people could read. And the Bible was no longer chained to the altar, but was made available to the people. That brought a revolution. Now it's not just information that's accessible. Now it's people. I got friends all over the world. It's ridiculous. It's, there's a lot of change, but I want to I tell you, in the midst of change, if history is a good indicator, and it almost always is, in the midst of change, the Spirit of God has always maintained their presence with God's people. Ever since Christ sent His Spirit, which we read about in John chapter 20, God has been with God's people. Receive the Spirit. Christ breathed on His disciples. God has been with God's people even in the midst of, or maybe, maybe especially in the midst of these seismic shifts. So we find ourselves in a time in the life of the church during what, what is called the great emergence when we don't even know what things are going to look like in 50 or 100 years. Things are changing quickly and we find the Spirit saying to the church what the Spirit has said to the people of God before. See! Look, I'm doing something new. Are you aware of it? I'm doing something new. Can you perceive it? This new thing the Spirit is doing, I want to tell you, is not a rejection of the way that we experienced the Spirit before. It's just that it's new. Because God is always contextualizing God's self to humanity. God is always saying, I will meet you where you are as you are. And I, I cannot be the only one who senses that the Spirit is doing something new here in this church, can I? Okay, good. My next line that I have written here because I read a manuscript was... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the warning of what I'm about to, what the next line was. What I was going to say next was, have you been able to sense that God is moving in fresh ways? I'm going to ask that, okay? Okay, okay. Patty wants another chance on the first question. I can't be the only one who can sense that the Spirit is doing something new here in this church, can I? No. Oh, okay, there we go. Have you been able to sense that the Spirit is moving in fresh ways? Yes. Thanks be to God. All of what I've just shared is why I'm so excited about the missional movement. The missional movement is, is what, we, what we launched at the annual meeting back on the first Sunday of June, and it's the series that we're doing right now, digging deep into these five movements. And I shared a little bit about the formation and development of the missional movement, being frustrated with, with kind of the measurements of the church and saying, these don't reflect kingdom things. How do we reflect the kingdom? And, and uh, last Sunday I shared that the missional movement is an alternative measuring stick Measuring different things, measuring to, seeking to measure not the static, but the dynamic. Seeking to evaluate the faithfulness of our church based on the investment of our people and their movement within it. 
Today, I want to articulate another way of thinking about the missional movement as a wineskin. When Jesus was asked by John the Baptizer's disciples why Jesus' disciples don't fast, Jesus explains to them that everything is changing. Jesus explains to them that, that because God has become incarnate, since divinity has entered humanity, things are changing. John's disciples say, why don't, you, why don't, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm here. I am with you. And he tells them this, these brief little stories about putting, putting a patch on clothes and putting, old wine into, putting new wine into old wineskins. He says that you cannot take an old wineskin to make new wine. And now I know we're good Nazarenes and we don't know how this works. Um, but I want to tell you how wine is made. Grapes ferment. Uh, Grapes with a little bit of all these other alternative ingredients, they ferment as it ages. Do you know what happens to the wine? It expands. It grows. When wine is new, when it has just become wine, it still has some expanding to do. It still has some growing to do as it, as it ages. And so they would, in order to, to make the wine more perfect, when it had become new wine, they would put it into a wineskin. But the wineskin needed to be flexible. It needed to be a bit malleable. It needed to be expandable. So they would take a piece of, piece of cloth, a piece of skin, that was not dry and hard and stale, but that was new itself, and it would... And they would put, it, put the wine in it. And do you know what would happen as the wine aged? It would expand in the wine skin, and the skin would expand with the wine. And do you know what would happen if you put new wine that still has some growing and some expanding to do into a skin that was already stiff, that was already formed, that shape was already set? It breaks. The wineskin will expand because the wine inside of it still is going to grow. Like a, like a plant growing out of concrete. Nothing is going to stop it. It's going to burst. And what's going to happen to all of that new wine? It's gone. Jesus was saying that at that time that the Spirit is pouring out new wine. Why don't your disciples fast? What's going on, Jesus? Jesus is saying, hey, 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 things are changing. The way that that you used to experience, the way that you used to contain the Spirit of God while valuable and good probably needs to be changed out for a new wineskin. And that's the missional movement. That's the hope of the missional movement. It's a measuring stick, sure, but my prayer is that it's a wineskin for us. Because the Spirit is doing something new. Without me coaxing you or or inviting a response, I don't care if you confess it or not because I know it's true. The Spirit is doing something new in our church right now, in us, among us, and I want to tell you through us. The Spirit is doing something new, and rather than have the, the new thing that the Spirit is doing spill out and go to waste, we hope that the missional movement can be a way to grow with the Spirit. You see, it's supposed to be pliable, flexible, expandable. Not rigid and stuck like former wineskins. And that's why it's called a movement. 
It moves and it breathes, it adapts. And so the second movement of this new wineskin is quite simply welcome. You remember last week we focused on engage, which was a focus on our community. Today, here we focus on welcome, and we begin to look at our own organization. We begin to reflect internally. There are folks in the life of this church who, who, are, at what we, who are at this stage called welcome. Maybe people that, have, that are newer to the church family, maybe people who have not found a place to get involved yet, maybe people who don't have the personal connections yet. There's some folks here that we would say, yeah, you're at the welcome stage, and we want to help you move in the missional movement as God is directing you and leading you. And so the first internal reflection is called welcome. And the intention here is to foster a spirit of hospitality. Simply put, that's what it is. And we've articulated it in this way, through our attitudes and actions, through our attitudes and actions, through our attitudes and actions, all who participate will know that their presence is valued. All who participate. Not just new folks, and not just people who've been here forever. The truth is, church, everyone should be a recipient of the hospitality that we have received from God. But truth be told, sometimes it's easier to be hospitable to people we don't know than to people we've worshipped with for decades, right? Because, I mean, we've seen them. So the framework for our understanding hospitality might not be what you first thought or maybe what you expected, but I want to suggest that hospitality looks like Jesus' interactions with his 11 disciples after the resurrection that we read about in John 19. I think that this is a biblical model for hospitality because in John 19, the author tells us the story of Jesus' first appearance to the disciples after he'd been crucified and resurrected. And in these, these verses, Jesus says something to his disciples three times. Do you know what he says to his disciples three times in two weeks? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he says it twice in the, to the ten in that first week, and then when Thomas is with them again, he says it to them again. And I want to make the case today that that is Christian hospitality. Speaking peace to people... It's hospitality. And you may remember, uh, we used to pass the peace during church, right? We had a moment in the worship service where we would pass the peace. That all changed when COVID hit. We haven't had a pass the peace moment since COVID. And um, Did you know we were doing it wrong? I mean, if you can do it wrong. But let me say, did you know that we were passing the peace out of order? Yeah, I know, right? There was an order for passing the peace in service. There's a traditional place where you pass the peace. We, we, we used to start our service with the time of passing the peace with one another, right? Early in the service, we would have our passing of the peace. But folks who come from more liturgical traditions might be able to remind us that traditionally the passing of the peace would take place later in the order of service during communion. The passing of the peace traditionally would take place in the middle of the liturgy of the table. The pastor offers a time to pass the peace to one another. And do you know why that is often considered the place where you pass the peace of Christ? In the, like kind of in the middle of the liturgy of the table. Do you know why that is the time where you pass the peace of Christ? Christians have practiced the passing of the peace of Christ during communion. 
<clears throat> because in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if anyone came to the altar to offer a gift, but still had anger or unreconciled situations or still had beef with their sister or brother, then they should leave their gift at the altar, go to their sister or brother, and be reconciled first, and then offer their gift. They ought not come to the altar without first being reconciled. Reconciliation was a priority for Jesus. So it is in Christian worship. We ought not come to receive the gift at the altar without first being reconciled with one another. The passing of the peace is a practice in reconciliation. The church has a moment of passing the peace, not just to say, hey, how are you? Good to see you. What a beautiful sunshine today. As good as that is. The passing of the peace is, is a time to say, hey, listen, we've had our issues. Peace of Christ to you. I want unity with you, despite our disagreements. I'm telling you, church, if you do not desire to be reconciled with your fellow Christians, you may not be desiring the reconciliation that is offered to us by Christ either. And if you reject the earnest and honest reconciliation of your sister and brother, you might just be rejecting the reconciliatory love of Jesus. But don't take my word for it. Jesus was the one who said the measure we use against others will be the measure that's used against us. Jesus was the one who said if you forgive the sins of others, guess what? They're forgiven them. But if you hold on to it, if you cling to it, guess what? It is held on to. So we might not just be rejecting the reconciliatory love of Christ for us. We might be hindering our sisters and brothers from receiving it as well. Because we might be the agents of God's Spirit for reconciliation in this world. If we reject others, don't be surprised that that same measure is used against you, church. Peace be with you. It's not just a practice in reconciliation for us. It is a practice in reconciliation for those first disciples as well. Not just for us, but for them as well. You see, in Jesus' death and resurrection, do you know what he did? He reconciled. His death, and rec his death and resurrection is a reconciliation. It's the reconciliation of God and humanity, of humanity and divinity. We believe that the great work of Christ on the cross was the ultimate act of reconciliation. And he reconciled all of us unto himself as the God-man. So you see, his speaking peace to his disciples after the resurrection was an act of hospitality as well as an act of reconciliation. Because hospitality is reconciliatory. So in order to be a welcoming church, it means more than just saying hi to people, which that's important, that's valuable, that's necessary. To be a welcoming people is more than just making meals, while that is also absolutely necessary. But if that were the case, Jesus would have sided with Martha in chastising Mary. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? Martha did all the work. She was doing all the hospitality things and Mary was just sitting there, hanging out, listening to Jesus. She said, Jesus, I've been doing all this stuff. She's not helping me at all. <coughs> hospitality is not, um, <clears throat> I hate to tell you, it's not a spiritual gift. 
that some of us get to have and some of us don't, I don't think any one of us is exempt from hospitality in the family of God. We may show it differently, we may practice it differently, but the truth is, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are all to be a reconciliatory people. We are all supposed to be a people who are pursuing reconciliation, and as such, we're a hospitable people. We're a welcoming people. Everyone ought to know that they are valued. All who cross our threshold ought to know when they leave that they are valued, whether it's their first Sunday or their thousandth. And every aspect of who we are ought to scream that people are valued and that they are welcome. So I want to ask you, what does hospitality look like here? And I know I said last Sunday that we don't... We're not just measuring the three B's, right? The bodies, bucks, and building. Uh, But I want to ask you about our building, our facility. We don't don't measure it in terms of its, necessarily in terms of its size or flash, but our facility is important in in that it tells a story. Um, And this might sound ridiculous to you, but studies have shown that people evaluate if they're going to visit a church a second time, maybe you know this, or maybe I've said it before, do you know how long it takes people to, ter- to determine when they cross the threshold into the building how long before they're going to visit a second time? Do you know how long it takes them to make that decision? 15 seconds. Um, does our facility tell people that they are valued and welcomed and loved? As you pull in and walk through the, the doors, does our, does our space tell you that we are glad you're here? I challenge you to come to the church with fresh eyes as if you aren't familiar with the place. What does the story tell you? I wanna, and I want to celebrate a few things right now. <clears throat> this summer, we've had kind of a, a weed problem. But in the last few weeks, it's been really cool. Just people have been coming and taking care of the space. But may, how about our Adventure Kids Department? <clears throat> Does that tell our children that they are valued? That they are loved? That that place is theirs? I mean, yes, tore up right now, right? It's kind of under construction because of the flood we had a few weeks ago. But not just when it's tore up, even before. Has our space told the story that their kids are safe? That their kids are prioritized? That parents can leave their kids alone? And know that it's going to be all right. Or are there ways that our space can tell a different story? Are there ways that our Adventure Kids Department can facilitate the work of the Holy Spirit in the church? You see, hospitality is reconciliatory, but I also think church is vulnerable. Hospitality is vulnerable. Um... When Christ spoke to his disciples after the resurrection, he didn't do it from a distance, right? He didn't do it remotely on Zoom. He was right there in the room with them. He didn't do it with his guard up. No, he rolled up his sleeves. And he took off his shirt. And he said, hey, look. It's me. Look. Look. Jesus bore himself to them. He exposed himself to them. In order to welcome them into his new creation, he pronounced peace and he showed them his wounds. 
How often do we expose our wounds to other people? Oh, we cover those up. Sometimes we struggle to have people into our homes if the carpet hasn't been vacuumed and Christ said, hey, bam! Let me show you my scars. Because Christian hospitality is vulnerable. Truth is, Christian hospitality can be exposing. People see us. But that vulnerability, I want to say, that vulnerability itself can be an act of reconciliation. So I want to close this sermon today with another story. I think that's what I'll do this series. I want to tell stories. Last Sunday I told the story to wrap up the sermon and today I want to tell a story. Thinking about hospitality, I think there are so many stories I could tell. Thinking about the hospitality that takes place in this church, I think there are quite a few stories I could tell. I could tell the stories of Retha Pohl and Sharon Geiger and and some other folks who take time out of their life during the week to drive Sue Roush up to the hospital to receive chemo treatments. I could tell that story. That's a story of hospitality and reconciliation. <clears throat> but I want to tell you the story of the church's decision to let the Y into our space a few years ago, the Y came to us and they said, hey, can we do our summer program here? We got kicked out of our school. We can't, it was in the middle of COVID. They said, we can't meet in our school because they don't let multiple kids, they don't let kids from multiple schools in one building anymore. And we need a new place because we got kids from all over town. Can we come and do it in, in your gym? And the board deliberated and they said, yeah, you're welcome. Then a little bit later, the Y came back to us during the, once the school year was getting ready and they said, hey, hey. So uh, we like it here. Can we do our after-school program and before-school program here? And the board deliberated and said, well, it may take a little bit more space, but yeah, for sure, go ahead. And then the Y came back and asked if they could move the rest of their programming here. Maybe you remember out on 37, they had, uh, they had the Y program out there on, on the highway, on, on the belt line down there. And they said, hey, can we just move it all? This is beautiful. We love being here. Can we do it? And so the board deliberated and, and recognized that that, they'd meet, that would mean that they would use the facility five days a week from morning to evening. And the board deliberated and the board said, yes. And it's not been without sacrifice, right? You know as well as I that we've had to be flexible on our end to, into- to accommodate their childcare needs. But what's also true is that they've been very flexible with us. They've been great partners, and <clears throat> I tell you the story of us welcoming the why, not to give ourselves on the, a pat on the back, really, and to say, look how great we are, look what good thing we did, but I say it uh, not even to celebrate that Marcy McCoy, the director of the Y Time, became a member, <coughs> excuse me, a few months ago at our annual celebration. <coughs> Nor even do I tell it to s- tell you that to celebrate that Marcy is going to be starting a new women's Bible study this fall, which is good and beautiful. <clears throat> no, I tell, us, I tell us the story of welcoming the why to tell you how reconciliatory that hospitality has been in our community. Maybe you know this, but <clears throat> child care is a huge need in our community. There are more kids than spaces, uh, and there haven't been great opportunities for young families to put their kids in a place. Um, I think when Millie was really little, when we were looking at it when the Y first came here. Um, <clears throat> I think there were two vacancies in the county at the time for childcare. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know how on earth, I don't know how on earth 
a single parent can raise multiple kids <clears throat> and have a job without incredible child care and afford it. It's so expensive. There's a tangible need in our community, and the Y came to us and said, hey, can we do this? And we said, hey, it might cost us a little bit, but yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Our relationship with the Y has been a, re- a relationship of reconciliation for this community, but also for this church. You see, five years ago, five years ago, <clears throat> when I would tell people I pastored the Nazarene Church, do you know what they would say to me? They would say, oh, you know, my aunt used to go there. They would say, oh, the Nazarene Church, where's that? That's the one uh, near the golf course? So yeah, that's, that's it. We're the one near the golf course. They were like, oh, cool, my parents got married in that church. Oh, cool, that's great. Where are you? I pastored the, the Nazarene Church. Nazarene? What's that? Do we have a Nazarene Church? What does that mean? Oh, the church of the Nazarene, my grandparents used to go there. The response was always, used to. Oh, they used to do that. Oh, I remember that church. I was in the teen group for about a week. Five years ago, the conversations were used to. Now, when I talk to people in the community, and I say, oh, I pastor the the church of the Nazarene, they're like, oh, that's the one near the golf course, right? They still think we're near the golf course, yeah. And I say, yeah, 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 we're one just past the golf course on Indian Hills. They're like, oh, that's where the Y is. Yes, that's where the Y is. Oh, the Church of the Nazarene? Oh, that's great. My kids are there every day. I know that church. My kids are there every single day. I pick them up all the time. Or this this one I've heard a lot. What's going on at that Nazarene church? I see all those kids out front in the yard running around. What's going on at your church, man? And I say, oh, hey, that's actually the why. They're like, oh, cool. I don't know if uh, some of you may have seen this just last week, not this last week, but the week before last, there was a post on the Facebook group, you know you're from Hastings If, and the Y was having their foam party in our front lawn here. They have a foam day every summer. <clears throat> and there was a post that evening that said, hey, just FYI, the Nazarene Church had, their, had a foam party on the front yard, and the foam is rolling into the street, and people are slowing down because... They had a party, so just be aware, it's just soap. The conversation that ensued was pretty funny. It used to be, five years ago when I would tell people I pastored Hastings Church of the Nazarene, it was, oh, we used to. Now, because we have had a spirit of hospitality towards this desperately needed resource for the community, when I talk to people in the community, the conversations are different. It's, oh, that's what... Good things are taking place there, right? Our posture of yes to the community, our posture of yes to the why was a posture of peace be with you to the community. Church, our second movement in the missional movement is quite simply welcome. To foster a spirit of hospitality. So that all will know that they, have, that they are valued through our attitudes and our actions. And I, if you're part of this church, not only do we engage the community for the sake of the kingdom, if you're part of this church, not only do you engage the community, which is our first movement, engage, but you also assume a posture of welcome. It's who we are. 
That's who we need to be, a posture of hospitality for all. Intentionally making sure that newer folks know that they're valued, but also offering a spirit of hospitality to all. Peace be with you. This is the good news of God for the people of God.